Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh, serve fast, serve friendly, lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. Episode 29 of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's, features a well-known wildcat. Today, the Big Blue Nation knows Mike Pratt from the Big Blue Sports Network, but now it's time to get to know Mike Pratt as a member of Coach Rupp's Kentucky Wildcats. We'll go back to 1966 as Mike Pratt was being recruited to Kentucky. Mike takes us through his playing days at UK, and he'll give us some insight on some of the relationships that Coach Rupp formed during his tenure at Kentucky, including one legendary college football coach. There's some good stories in here about Coach Rupp, and Mike's going to share those with you. And you're going to hear about some of the greats that Mike played with, including Dan Issel and Mike Casey. And you're also going to hear about some of the greats Mike played against, including Pistol Pete Maravich. After Mike played at UK, he went on to play for the other Kentucky team, the Kentucky Colonels, and he'll tell us about that experience as well. Mike Pratt has seen quite a bit of basketball in his days as a college player, a former ABA player, a former coach, and as a radio commentator. When asked about Mike Pratt, Coach Rupp said, this Pratt kid is the strongest kid I've ever seen play basketball. And as you're going to find out, Pratt has some pretty strong stories. I'm Bo Robinson, and this is episode 29, part one of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and his guest, Mike Pratt. Let's cut to the chase. The the, the part of your career that most Kentucky fans remember and know about, and that was the 68, 69, 70 era, the last great era of Adolph Rupp. Uh, the next year after you left here, I think they only had a 500 season, and then the next year was his last year. But 68, 69, 70, you and Dan Issel and Mike Casey and all those guys came in just as the runts were leaving. In fact, you were being recruited while they were making their run. Tell us what it was like during your recruitment that junior and senior year, and they were going for the title in 66. Well, I, I was a senior, um, and, of course, uh, Joe, uh, Adolph was like John Wooden. They didn't recruit many people, if any. You had to come to them. They were at the top of their game, and Joe Hall was the guy who recruited me. Actually, Neil Reed made the first contact with me. Neil was an assistant before Joe. Um, he was up to see a fellow by the name of Bill Hoskett, who went to Ohio State. And uh, Bill and Donnie May had this Dayton Belmont team that was one of the best in the history of of uh, Ohio high school basketball. And um, we played them every year, twice. And uh, city school in Dayton. So Neil Reed was at a game and saw me play as a sophomore and started recruiting me. Came by, said hello, and and I didn't pay any attention. I was 15 years old, you know. Um, then he kept in touch. Um, Dayton had recruited me since I was like freshman or sophomore. That's still Don Donaher? Don Donaher, right. Great coach. Terrific human being, a great coach. Ohio State, uh, Cincinnati, Lee Rose um, at Cincinnati. So uh, Coach Hall 
kept the information flowing. Had a fellow in Dayton by the name of Dave Lutz. Um, you may have remember Dave. Dave, big UK guy. Um, would always come to the games and bring people with him. And um, we uh, we came down and watched UK play uh, the runs play one time. But at the end of the year, my dad and Dave drove my dad and my brother and I down to watch the runs play. They were a big deal. I mean, they they back in the day there wasn't the media there is now. The the runs were a big deal. Uh, Coach Rupp called me a couple times. He never saw me play, but I don't think he ever saw Dan play, if I remember right. Um, of course, saw Casey because he was right here. Um, so it was uh, it was quite a thing, oh, to to have um, Adolf Rupp call you, Joe Hall, in, in in attendance at your game in the runs, running what twenty five and one, twenty five straight games. And back then, it was it was a big deal. Um, Dayton. Uh, was a big, big name school back then, University of Dayton was. And UK was big in the greater Dayton area. A lot of people from Kentucky had moved up to work in the factories in Dayton. And a lot of people on my street where I grew up um, worked in the factories at, at, at uh, in Dayton. So there was a lot of uh, connect, Kentucky connections, but it was really Joe doing all the work uh, at that time. It seemed like during that era, up until maybe even the late, 70s, early 80s, teams built toward a run. In other words, you didn't have one and duns. Right. And if you were going to have a good run, you were going to have three or four juniors and seniors. You didn't have three sophomores starting. And it was pretty obvious that putting your class together was going to be Rupp's, at least it turned out to be the last great run, 68, 69, and 70. And, and let's go through 68. Well, to talk about your to, – to your point, the year before I came to Kentucky, I think they had four or five guys, and uh, three of them flunked out and left Phil Argento. He had one guy. And um, Joe stepped in and knew he had a, a void there, and um, he recruited, I think, 13 or 14 guys were recruited to Kentucky in my freshman class. You didn't class. have a limit that you have today. You had no limit. And as a freshman, we were – later on with uh, Connor and Flynn and Grievy and those guys, they, they all called it the super kittens or something like that. Well, we were – we used to have crowds that would leave after our freshman game uh, not to stay around and watch the varsity, who was 13 and 13 that year, my freshman year. We came to Dayton and played, sold the place out, went to West Virginia and played, sold that place out. Um, we drew big crowds because we got a lot of publicity as a freshman team, all right? Uh, three of us averaged 20 or more a game, Casey, Issel, and myself. Um, we were we got beat at Dayton and beat at Tennessee. Um, the next year, you want to talk about uh, 68, we had a lot of seniors coming back uh, that none of them had started except for Thad Jarris. Okay. Um, so there were a lot, there was a lot of guys that were on Rupp's runs teams that maybe came off the bench and played, but only, only Thad started. You were 22 and five that year, most only five games. Uh, one of I them guess the, the biggest heartbreak was right on the Coliseum four against Ohio state. Yeah, it, it was, um, you know, we we uh, we geared up to play Marquette in the first game of the regionals. Al's first really good team. I mean, they were good. 
set Al off at Marquette, Al is, McGuire. Is that, is that when the friction between he and Adolph started? Well, really, there's some good stories. And, and I got to – Al was really good to me later on in my life in coaching. And I sat with him many times. And uh, he he uh, he and I spent time together. I did TV, and he hosted uh, a 7-Up Classic in Arizona, and I worked the game. And, and Al and I went to dinner with some other people. But I've flown on – I've run into him, and we'll talk. And he always told me, oh, that, you know, hey – all that stuff I did to Adolph before those games, he said, it was all because, as Al used the words, he paved my driveway. He's the guy that paved my driveway. So same, I, kind, same kind of a admiration that maybe Ray Mears had. Maybe, yeah. They, I, I think they were. There was more bitterness with with Coach Mears and Coach Rupp. I, I think Al was just tweaking him. I think Al was just trying to. He was trying to get his brand going, as we say now, and, and he. Uh, but he respected Adolph and what he had done. He, and he was a basketball guy, contrary to, you know, New York guy, he's a basketball guy, and he respected that. So they they roll in, and we played them, and, and we knew how good they were. And Ohio State played East Tennessee State in, in the other game. East Tennessee State was really good that year. And Ohio State struggled. I think it was OT game maybe uh, to beat East Tennessee, but we, we wore Marquette out one by 20, I think, eight, 18 or 20 in, in – uh, we may have relaxed a little bit thinking we played because if you go back, Ohio State had to win a play-in game that year Correct. to get to the to the regional. We had already beaten Michigan earlier in the year, who was in contention in the Big Ten. They may have even played Michigan in that playoff game. I'm not sure. But Rudy Tomjanovich played for Michigan, though. And um, Ohio State was a team that probably matched up really well. They were bigger than us, played a lot of zone. Um, when we beat Marquette, I think we, we kind of went, okay, let's go to LA now. We beat the, cause they came in, Al made a big fuss, you know, and, and said that the great line he was, uh, he said, uh, you can't use that eight off F Rupp ball in the tournament. And coach Rupp, I guess, looked at him and said, well, son, why don't we play with your ball? <laughs> Al didn't have a ball. Only two people in the country had a ball. John Wooden and Adolph, I believe. Yeah. And and Adolph said, Why don't we use your ball, Al? <laughs> <laughs> so so, you know, I've got one of those balls. I, I've got to go back and see. I've got an original regional basketball stamp and everything, oh, from right. that from that tournament. I gotta to go see if Adolph's name on it. But they got in a debate because Coach Rupp hosted some show prior to the uh, regional on television here in Lexington. So uh it was quite quite interesting uh, year. Um, we weren't in the top twenty or twenty five preseason. We were not in it. Had one starter back, uh, Thad Jers, and had a lot of guys that hadn't played, and then the freshman class who became sophomores. So we kind of came out of nowhere and uh, had our ups and downs. Won four, lost four regular season, and one in the tournament, I believe. Mm-hmm. Lost to. Uh- North Carolina in Greensboro. Yep. Lost at Florida, at Auburn, at Tennessee. And I will tell you about I will tell you about North Carolina. That was uh that place we went down there and, and uh we had a bad trip getting down there. I mean, Coach Rupp was rolling on that plane, man. We were up and down, we couldn't land. And he started hollering at the pilot. We finally got to land. The weather was so bad. So we're playing in that in the Coliseum there. Place is sold out, it's rocking. And they were bigger than we were, and we took them. We, we were in the game all the way, and they just were bigger, more experienced. 
Um, the Florida game is is kind of funny. We beat them very bad early in December, unusual December game. We go down there. Um, I had never – I mean, we played in a lot of different places. We played in the Quonset Hut at Auburn. You remember that? Alligator Alley there. Well, the Alligator Alley. And if you remember, one side had windows, mm-hmm. and they'd sometimes they'd pull the curtains, and sometimes they wouldn't. And if they did, and you were playing afternoon, we played afternoon. Two of the three years we played down there played afternoon. And one year, that year, we played the twelve o'clock game. So the sun's coming in, and, and it seemed like the sun was at our end. And we come out the second half, and hell was still at our end, you know. And they and put I don't, ninety-six points on the board against you. Yeah, they just eighteen after we had beaten them by twenty. And they put a lot of points on the board. Um, we go uh, – this uh, is is a funny story. We play the game. We go – our travel partner was Tennessee. They were at Georgia. We were at Florida. You flip-flop back then. It's called a travel partner. You played everybody in the league. So we go to the plane to go to Georgia. And uh, we hadn't eaten since 8 in the morning, okay? And they had some sandwiches that they give you, a little box lunch and a Coke. I mean, you know, you played a ball game and that's what you got, but that's what you got, right? <laughs> so um, we wait and wait and wait. Finally, they said, we can't get into Athens. This is a charter, Purdue Airlines charter, mm-hmm. about 30 seats, you remember. And um, so Adolf, he's fuming now. We got waxed and uh, he's fuming. So he gets Claude Vaughn, the trainer, to get the bus, come come get us and take us back to the hotel. So we go back to the hotel. Now it's you know, 6.30, 7 o'clock. You know, it's dark. We hadn't eaten since eight in the morning. We're starving. So the guys go down to where we were being fed there in the whole uh, in the holiday in there in Gainesville. Nicest hotel in Gainesville was the holiday in. So uh, I'll never forget this. Some of the guys got early. We were kind of dragging along. I don't know if I was with this or Casey who we were kind of dragging in and we sat down. We hadn't even been served a meal. Some of the guys that started theirs, we were late getting there. there was no time requirement. So all of a sudden, in walks Adolph and Harry and, and Claude, Vaughn, the trainer. And they're looking at us, and, you know, we got beat, and they weren't happy. And Adolph looks at Harry and says, Harry, what are these boys eating? And Harry goes, I don't know. Claude, what are they eating? Well, Claude says, we, we got them a, a prime rib, a baked potato, salad, nothing unusual. Adolph looks at Harry and says, Harry? What did Hagen Ramsey Seropolis eat? And here he goes, moon pie, a bologna sandwiches, and RC Cola. Now, we knew we were dead in the water at that time. <laughs> we knew we were dead in the water. And I'm sitting there. Casey and I, got, got breast his soul. We used to laugh about this all the time. Look around at each other going, we're not going to eat. <laughs> That's all we could think. We're not going to eat. Not even bologna chan- sandwich and a moon pie. Sure enough, Adolf goes, Claude, put these boys to bed. They played badly. Put them to bed. We go, oh, my God. So we all go to bed. The guys that had started, they got to get up and leave. And so uh, about 9 o'clock, Claude calls the rooms and says, if some of you guys want a hamburger, come on down. Uh, You can get a hamburger, a glass of milk in my room. <laughs> so it never paid to lose, you know. It never paid to lose. Your your junior year at Kentucky, sixty eight, sixty nine. You're twenty three and five. You're you're really getting a roll because you guys are juniors now. I mean, you you had your red shirt year as a freshman, which freshman couldn't play, and then you had your sophomore year, and you it was your guys' team now. 
mm-hmm. you, uh, Mike Casey, Dan Issel, and the crew had an unbelievable run. But for some reason, NCAA didn't do you any favors on where they sent you in the postseason. Yeah, and, and let me go back to 68 to the Ohio State game. Um, they beat us on a buzzer shot. Um, uh, Casey knocked the ball out of bounds and, and, uh, as they drove, uh, Dennis Metters for Ohio state, who's from outside of Dayton drove Casey knocks it out of bounds. It's like two seconds on the clock and we called timeout. Everybody gathered around and there was a debate whether we play man to man or zone, but typically coach Rupp played zone. Everybody zoned the out of bounds under the basket. That's what we did. They threw a lob Sorensen, who I had played against in the Ohio all-star game catches it, shoots it, goes in it at the buzzer. We lose by one. So we're heartbroken, but we realize that what we have ahead of us, and um, we had a nice freshman class moving up. So we started that year, and I I tore the tip of my finger off, so I missed the early, I guess, two or three games um, up at Miami, Ohio, Xavier, and I think somebody else before. I I came back against North Carolina, and this this is kind of a good story. Dean Smith is coaching, legendary coach. And I hadn't played, and they didn't. They said, "Well, we don't know if he's going to play." So the deal was that I went to the the, the hospital, and I and a really nice doctor. He was a very famous hand doctor at that time. Was at UK, and he had put my finger. It was hanging by the skin when I tore it off in practice, and he had put it back together. And he said, "You're not going to have any feeling, but it's going to. I'm not going to take it off." Okay, so I have no feeling to this day. So he says, for you to play, we got to put it in a paraffin cast because you can't have a big hand cast, a paraffin cast, and tape your your left finger to your little finger, and that's how you play. I said, okay, that's fine. Coach Rep said, okay. Dean Smith shows up at the hospital when I'm having it done after the uh, pregame meal. I go over to have it done because he had heard, and he and he asked Coach Rupp, he said, can I go watch this done? And uh, – Coach Rupp said, I don't care. You know, Coach Rupp, you want to go? Go. Get, you know. Um, so I'm I'm in there with the doc, and all of a sudden Dean Smith shows up. And he's watching and asking questions of the doctor. Nothing negative, just, you know, how did you put his finger together? You know, what's this and that? And he saw where I didn't have a big old heavy cast, and um, he left. And I ended, that was the first game my junior year, and they beat us there. And uh I I got to think that if I had been playing, we would have beaten them. It was a close game. They had another team that went to the Final Four. Very good. But that, that kind of jump-started our junior year, and we moved on and had a pretty good year. Matter of fact, I think that team beats Marquette. You're referring to where we played. We were sent to Madison, Wisconsin, which was in that time one of the uh, hot spots for activism against Vietnam. Uh, in this country. And of course, we were all white and, and Marquette was black and white. They made a big deal of that. We played up there in Wisconsin's old raggedy place. That's where we played the NCAA. And uh, they beat us uh, down the stretch, uh, upset us. We were we were the favorite team. They upset us. And uh, the whole... Um, the whole situation was was pretty awkward in that and I asked Al about this later on, and I asked George Thompson about this, who I had played against in the pros, and, and we became became friends. And I asked, I said, uh, Tip, his nickname, I said, Tip, uh, one time, it, it, what was the, what was, the, why were you guys 
you know, you were calling us honkies and crackers and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I said, Tip, did you understand that there was only probably one Kentucky guy, maybe two, that everybody else was from the Midwest? And we laughed about it. I mean, you know, just kind of mm-hmm. jokingly. He said, Al didn't care. Yeah, I was trying to motivate us to, you know, saying, hey, it's the white guys against the black guys. And uh, we got a kick out of that later on when we were in the regional tournament in Minneapolis when Bogans got hurt his ankle. George and I were um, together a couple times, mm-hmm. and we would laugh and joke about that. And I talked to Al about it, and Al said, hey, I'm just trying to motivate my guys. He said, you know what? That's part of the deal. And uh, it, is, it's, it was a very awkward place for our team. And I think if, if you remember right, Coach Rupp had the um, – what was it? Di- diabetic reaction. He had to put his yes. foot up, mm-hmm. and he had to put his foot he up. Elevate his foot up, even during the games, yes. and of course at practice during that year in January. Harry goes to become AD, and Joe's on the re- road recruiting again, all the time. Um, we were kind of left with Coach Rupp with the bad wheel and the managers. And my thinking is we lost our focus. We just kind of lost our edge there. We we needed someone like Joe or Harry to to push us at certain times to challenge us because Coach Rupp's health was really bad at that time that year. And I, and I think we, we lost our edge about the middle of – I mean, won the SEC. We still had a really good team. Mm-hmm. But I, I think we had a team that – could have been again to the regional finals, maybe the NCAA Final Four. We we just lost our edge, and uh, I think a lot was to Going do with into the off season that summer spring. Everybody was saying this team is going to win it all next year. This is going to be the year, and it looked that way until there was an accident during the summer. Jabbar was gone, and some other players, uh, Lucius Allen and Warren from UCLA, and and they had won what three in a row, whatever it was. UCLA looked to be vulnerable. I don't know whether they were or not, but they looked to be. And we were one of those teams. North Carolina uh, lost a lot of people, but we were right there. You're right. And in case he has the accident on 64 where he breaks his leg. And the best way to describe it is when you play with a guy three years, freshman team at two varsity, Dan and Mike and I knew where each other would be. We knew how we played. Could Uh, almost play blindfolded. Almost. We pushed each other. We challenged each other. Um, and I think when you cut one of those arms off, it's it's hard to replace. It's just you 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 took us a while. We were out of uh, out of sync early. We won early. We once beat some good people early. But once once we got some guys like uh, McCowan, like uh, Hollenbeck, uh, some of these guys that uh, tried to uh, step in and replace Case. Um, we got them to kind of fit into our group. Terry Mills. Terry Mills played a lot. Jimmy Dinwiddie. And you lost a couple of the players during the run, though. Well, we did, and that's that's an amazing thing. We go to Starkville, Mississippi. I believe we were undefeated, number one team in the country. We only lost once that year. It was at at Nashville, eighty-two to eighty. Uh, we go to Starkville on a weekend, Stark Vegas, and some of the guys decided to, to slip out. And, and we were all asked, everybody wanted to go, do you want to go with the SAEs or going to take us to this to this bar? We'll shoot some pool, have some beers on Sunday night. No, wait a minute now. Shoot some pool and have some beers? Yep, yep. That's what with the was. blessing of the coaches. No, 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 no. Oh, okay. oh no, 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 okay. no, no. Okay. But, but just want to check that. Some of the SAE guys on our team were contacted by I SAE guys, and I they were going to – we had no cars. They had to come pick up. And um, I was I was not feeling well or something, and I stayed in. Dan and I stayed in. 
I think if I would have been feeling better, I, I might have gone with them. Who knows? But half the team goes. And uh, some really important guys like Bob McCowan and uh, Randy Poole. Randy Poole. Um, uh, Ken Hollenbeck went. Uh, Clint Wheeler went. Um, Art Labe went. But McCowan was really the one. And, you know, he had left the reservation a couple times earlier. Wasn't his first uh, run no, in with the law. No, but he he could defend, man. He was. And uh, and Hollenbeck was hurt. He had the bad ankle, uh, broke his foot. He he could play. He had speed and quickness, and McCowan could defend. And then you're without Casey, so Bobby got off the reservation a couple times, and and, and Coach Rupp uh, gave him his papers for the rest of the year, as he did a couple other ones. And never quite never quite understood um, exactly why Bob and some of the rest of them were, were pool and. Were, were let go and some of the other guys weren't except Bob had, you know, he had, he had left the reservation as we used to say. Um, but it hurt because Casey being out, McCowan in uh, Holland Beck had things that nobody else could do. And Holland Beck was hurt. He's broke down the whole, his whole sophomore year. I mean, he had foot problems pretty much his career. Um, and we had guys, Stan Key stepped up and played big. Oh, and Terry Mills played big. Jimmy Dinwiddie played big, but you know we're we're you know we're without just talent wise uh, for different reasons probably our three top guards. It looks like Cal when you were sixteen games into the season when he got kicked off. He had played sixteen. We were sixteen games. and zero, I believe, weren't we? Yeah, yep, yeah, yeah. We're number one team in the country. We're in Stark Vegas, Starkville, Mississippi. Sixteen and zero. Um, yeah, that was a little unusual. Uh, Pooh had only played four games, so right. that probably wasn't that much of a loss as it pertained to the season. Correct. Uh, yeah, Moose was uh, – he was a senior. Uh, no, he was Richarded. Um, but in practice, it cuts you short, okay? And um, it, it – but the really the issue was the, the injury to Casey, the injury on going to Hollenbeck, and then losing um, Bob really put a lot of pressure on everybody else. I mean – uh, Dinwiddie had played very little. Terry Mills had not played a lot, played more than Dinwiddie had. And then Stan Key was a, fr- a sophomore. It was his first year. I mean, a lot of pressure on those guys. And uh, all three of them at various times did really well. The fans were all, and much of the nation, looking forward to March Madness at the time. But throughout that year, and your three years at Kentucky, um, Pete Maravich was around. What was the league like then as far as competition and name recognition of players. Because, I mean, everybody knew when Kentucky and LSU played because it was always one of the few games that was on TV. If Kentucky played LSU and Marowitz, that game was going to be on TV. National television. National. And you knew he was going to get 50 or more, but you also knew Kentucky was going to win by 35 or more. (laughs) (laughs) The league was really good then, much better than it's been for that. I mean, much better – quite a few pros, and I can go down some of those guys on various teams besides Kentucky, than it has been for a while. Uh, Tennessee had Bobby Croft. They had Billy Justice, uh, Tom Borwinkle. All those guys played in the pros uh, someplace along the line. Vandy had Tommy Hagen from Louisville, uh, played in the ABA, Bo, Bo, uh, Bo Winant. Uh, they had Bobby Warren played uh, professionally. Perry Wallace, the first African-American player in the SEC, was a terrific six-foot-four player. Um at uh, Georgia, you have Bob Leanhart, six foot ten, played in the pros. 
At Auburn, you had John Mengelt, who played in the pros. At Florida, you had Neil Walk, Andy Owens. Both of them played in the pros at some time or the other. Walk was the number one pick ahead of Jabbar. People think it was, obviously. And, and, and basically, at the time you played, or at least up until well, about the time you got here, there wasn't many African-Americans in the league. Very first African-American player was Perry Wallace at, at Vanderbilt, yes. And then CM uh, integrated Alabama. And no, actually, the guy, Henry Harris at Auburn, was the second African-American player in the SEC. He was a, a sophomore, I believe, when I was a senior. Played against us. Played now, down there. Now, your senior year, Kentucky has a kid that's enrolled as a freshman or was going to be enrolled as a freshman, Tom Payne. Tom Payne. From Louisville, mm-hmm. African-American. But he didn't have some qualification grades or something. And he actually didn't even play on the freshman team. He played with an AAU team, I think, coached by Scotty Basler, Jerry's Jerry's, uh, restaurants. Mm -hmm. Scotty Basler, former Kentucky player, took Tom Payne and really tried to help him and work with him. And uh, we saw Tom play. Couldn't practice or anything, but we saw Tom, we as as, – Student athletes, we saw Tom play with Jerry's against the freshman team, which had Jim Andrews, another really good big man. Um, Tom, Tom was a, a specimen. Um, he really was a, a big. Uh, it would have been great for us that year to play if if he could have been on the freshman team with with Andrews, and we would practice against him because ultimately we played a team. Everybody. Ultimately, we played a team with two seven footers in the regional finals. Okay. So we didn't have a chance to look at that. But Tom Payne was quite a talent, uh, and he had didn't work out for him. He had some issues, but he was quite a talent. What do you remember most about your six battles with Pete Maravich? I'll tell you, first time we played them uh, down in, in Baton Rouge, I believe it was, and uh, we had the jump ball. And they We get it, go down and score. We fall back into like a 2-3 or 1-3-1, and I'm playing back on the back line, and Pete comes across the mid-court. Oh, he's looking around. He's looking around. He's beyond what would be the three-pointer now. And he just lets it go, just lets it go. He throws an air ball, and I'm there. I catch the miss, and I'm thinking, it's going to be a hell of an afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we're going up and down, and he didn't have a lot of talent with him then. By the time he left, again, he played pros. Apple Sanders played in the pros, and Danny Hester played in the pros. They had three guys. I mean, the league was really good then. And turning out professional players into pro basketball that only maybe had in two leagues 20 teams, okay, 10 men per team roughly. And the league was tough. And uh, Pete Pete was uh, – we, we all got to be friends with Pete um, either in college or later on. We played the Hawks in exhibition. Um, Pete was uh, – Pete was a wild man, but he was uh, a guy that you loved to play against because he would compete. He would do things. He kept the game going very fast. He didn't try to hold it on us like some teams would. It was it was uh, it was a unique uh, relationship and rivalry at that time. Let's go into the latter part of your senior year and get into the tournament and take us through what happened throughout that. Well, we were we were in in our region. We were. One, um, Jacksonville was three. UCLA was two, but they're not in our region. Jacksonville was three. Um, Iowa was four. They went through the Big Ten undefeated that year. That it was a r- real rarity. Iowa had two professional basketball players on it too, Johnny Johnson and in uh, downtown Freddie Brown. I mean, we're talking good teams in those eras. 
And then the the least ranked team is Notre Dame. They were like seven. And they had Austin Carr. They had three or four guys that played in the pros uh, on that team. Uh, and Digger didn't coach it, okay? But they had three or four guys that played in the pros. And we had beaten them, had a heck of a game in, in Freedom Hall in Louisville earlier that year. And uh, we drew them in the first first game. And uh, they changed up and played a lot of zone and played us differently. It was a close game down to the wire. And what I'll what I'll not forget about that is the next game was Jacksonville and Iowa. And there was a picture in the Columbus paper the next day. And the old Ohio State arena, St. John's, in each corner had a scoreboard. Okay, each corner had a scoreboard, then a main one. So you could see it eye level. You look up in the corner and you see the score. You don't have to look up. And Pembroke Burroughs had a tip in that counted to beat Iowa 101 to 100. There were no seconds on the clock and the ball hadn't left his hand. Now, it could have been the angle of the camera, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that was the game that got Jacksonville to us. And, um, it it was a it was a terrific ball game. There four still, really special still just teams. two refs for games then. Two refs per game, and I uh, say that for a reason. Yeah, just two refs per game. Uh, Jacksonville, you know the team they had. They had uh, three guys. Uh, Pembroke Burrows, a little bit of time in the uh, in the NBA or ABA, and of course, Artist Terrific was one of my teammates. Uh, Rex Morgan played with the Celtics. I mean, that was a heck of a talented team. Um, we we played them on a Saturday afternoon in um, in uh, Columbus that I won't forget. Um, of course, Dan, the controversial call on Dan, uh, balls on one side of the floor. He's coming down the floor. The little guy steps in front of him. Damn, Dan hammers him. I mean, hammers him, and keeps going. And they call him for charging. That whole thing, that type of play, was started pretty much when Dean Smith was at Carolina. He took the charge off the ball. That's what he taught, okay, defensively. And every time we played him, Coach Rupp would have to say, when you're cutting through the lane, when you're cutting without the ball, be careful. They're going to set – they're going to try to take charges because you could take that then. The ball could be at the other end of the floor. You run over a guy, it's a charge. And, that, you know, that that changed. But Dan hammered the guy. Larry Steele played the other forward with me. He fouls out and I foul out. Now, I think there was about eight minutes left to go. All three of us are out. So your three leading scores are out. Now, back at that time, didn't you play with two fouls in the first half, generally? No, Coach Rupp take you out. Now, he might not take Dan out, but he'd take the rest of us out, yeah. With two fouls? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll tell you a great – remind me to tell you a great Joe Hall story when he okay. coached us as a freshman on the freshman team. But um, So the, the the Randy Knoll, who later transferred, Mark Soderberg um, – Stan Key, Terry Mills, um, Tom Parker, these guys came in and took Jacksonville down to the wire. Uh, they really play. I mean, Jacksonville's got to make foul shots, okay? And I've always wondered, uh, and of course, artists, we good-naturedly kid each other over the years. Uh, a very good friend of both Dan and I um, about what would happen if we could have played the whole game. That would have been a little different. But they played a 2-3 zone. And, oh, yeah, two seven-footers. And another guy was six seven, Greg Nelson. At the guard, they had um, Rex Morgan, who's my size, six three, And then uh, another guy that was an average-sized guy. I, I never saw a team like that in my life. Are you kidding me? Two seven-footers and six seven. I mean, I, at times, I had to guard Pembroke Burrows. 
sitting there the last eight minutes, was a game, were, were they playing well enough where you were thinking like, Absolutely. We're going to come back. Absolutely. You, you wouldn't think about, like, I've played my last game. I thought we had a shot. The way those guys were playing, I thought we had a shot. And uh, um, until the end, when Jacksonville stepped up, made the foul shots. And uh, Hollenbeck was healthy then and really helped, too. And and uh, Terry Mills, Tom Parker played. And Noel, I mean, they played really well. Knowing Coach Rupp like I do and like you do, or did, uh, he was always sort of an eternal optimist, but at point, any point in that same time, did you sense that he realized this might be his last legitimate shot at number five? Post-game, we're in a P.E. locker room at Ohio State. That's where we dressed. I mean, they didn't care back then. The NCAA didn't care. Place was sold out. Take the money. The guys dressed in the P.E., guys dressed in the shower. They didn't care. Okay. It wasn't a home team, so nobody got Ohio State's locker room. Um, we're sitting on benches, just like we had in our locker room, just wooden benches. And I'm at one end of the bench, and things are going on, and I've got a towel over my head. and Obviously, a little upset, maybe crying, I can't remember. All of a sudden, I hear this voice. Uh, goes, Coach, I'm really sorry for you. And I had heard that voice before. I sit there, and Coach Rupp starts talking. Hear the voice again. I take the towel off my head, look over to my left. I'll never forget it. And there's the man with the white short sleeve shirts, shirt and the black baseball cap and the O on the front. Got his arm around Coach Rupp, consoling him. Wayne Woodrow Hayes. Wow. Woody Hayes. Woody Hayes. In the locker room, sitting, had his arm around Adolph. I just sat there and looked at it. Of course, Ohio State football was huge. Huge. As big as anybody ever in the country. Exactly. And for an Ohio boy to see him, and I'd been up, they recruited me Ohio State, and I'd been up to football games, and I'm looking over there, it's Woody Hayes. He's got his arm around Coach Rupp and uh, consoling him. And, uh, no, you know, we Coach Rupp never talked. He, he talked about – he talked about mastering the offense. He talked about the execution of the offense. And he talked – when when they had the scouting reports, he talked about doing your job against certain guys. He never talked about, you know, setting records or anything like that. Um, I, I think at times you could tell maybe he had a little bit more confidence in some people than others, okay? But uh, I can't remember him ever talking about, hey, we got to win this and – or I don't think we can win it. it. It was more of, if you do this, we spend a lot of money. You know how he was. Mm-hmm. We spend a lot of money sending people out to scout these teams. You better damn well do what these guys come back and say, you know, how he was. And that, that was about it. Before we get into your professional career, let's follow through on Coach Rupp a little bit. You had two more years of Coach Rupp here. The next year, the one year of Tom Payne playing for him. And then his final year. What well, was there any talk during the time that you were here from either fans or boosters or whoever? But it was time for him to hang it up. Well, you remember well, and I want to get back to tell my Joe story before after this. You remember well the controversy about Coach Rupp retiring. So Dan and Louie and I were playing with the Colonels, and we we didn't get to see games a lot because we were playing and we were traveling. But I remember that um, somebody came to us in the media um, that last year and asked all three of us separately what we thought if Coach Rupp should come or go. 
And after we all three answered, we talked about it in the locker room or someplace. We're going like, why would you ask us that? He's our coach. I mean, and I think Coach Hall was a little offended about that. I think he got a little upset because we we said it was it was in the Courier Journal that we didn't think Coach Rupp should retire. Well, what are we going to say? You know, what well, he he coached us. Um, it wasn't our decision. Everybody knew they were going to force him out. I mean, you had to be you had not to be following the show to know he he was gone. But we had to show our support in in under no circumstances did that mean that we didn't support Joe Hall. Mm-hmm. I mean, two of the three of us uh, were recruited by Joe Hall and like Joe Hall. Um, and it, it really got ugly. Oh, it really got ugly. And, um, you know, controversial. And uh, and his next to last year was one of his worst years. He, well, his last year, uh, uh, Hugh Durham and Florida State beat him in the regional finals in Dayton. Right. The year before that, yeah, yeah, they got Western Kentucky pounded them. Yeah, Case came back and played. They pounded them down in Georgia. That was our rookie year in the pros. Yeah, the year after we left, I had a nice ball club, and but um, you know, Case was really Casey and Larry Steele were, were the experience. Everybody else had not a lot of experience, and had some good young talent. Andrews and Parker and guys like that were in pain. Pain was talented. I mean, that was a good team. Coach Rupp did have that diabetes and and a lot of illness throughout his life. Five the or gout, six years. if I remember and right. Gout, yeah. yeah. What went through your mind when it finally happened? Getting beat? No, no. Him leaving. Him. I think everybody being in Louisville playing professionally at the time. I, again, I think everybody could see the head writing on the wall. It wasn't shocked anybody. Um. I think we were all happy that Joe got the job because we all knew Joe, okay, and that we thought that was the right thing to do. But you know, it, it the battle drug on way too long. I think um, for whatever the reason, even after he was fi- fired, retired, whatever, it, it went on too long. It took too long to heal the wounds. You you were here at the time or, or close to it, but there's some people who thought that great Western Kentucky team that beat him. Had he been able to recruit a couple, three of those kids to Kentucky, that he might have been able to hold on to his job. You had Jim McDaniel and Jim Rose both that were recruited, and I think there was a kid from Louisville that they recruited too. Perry. I Jerome they, Perry. Yeah, yeah, Jerome yeah, Perry. Yeah. Uh, and they got none of them. Jim McDaniels was in Casey and I's dorm room on a Saturday. Uh, Joe brought him in. And, of course, i never seen a guy that big either, but, I mean, he was a drink of water. Joe brings him in that morning, and we had the freshman game. Issel lived right above us. He came down. <clears throat> so he, they, Joe said, would you spend some time with, with Jim? Was, sure. And he he really knew Casey a little bit because of high school basketball. He right. didn't know Dan and I. But we sat there. We visited an hour with Mac. And um, we, we had a good time. We told him we wanted him. And he goes, well, I, you know, I don't know. Um, I don't know, you know, being the first African-American player. And we go like, hey, Mac, you'll be with us. It's no problem. We're going to, you know, we got your back, as they say now. But we told him, you know, we we want you. Joe B. wants you. Coach Rupp wants you. I don't know. but Coach Rupp, no. Listen, Joe Joe's represents Coach Rupp. He told us we got to have you. We went through that whole deal. He went down to pregame with us, had pregame. And um, 
went to the game, met everybody in the locker room, the freshman in the varsity. And uh, the one thing I'll never forget that he asked um, – he asked uh, the three of us what we were getting at Kentucky. <laughs> and we go, oh, we're not getting anything. You, you don't have any cars? No, no cars. And he goes, well, you know, I got some offers from some schools that, uh, you know, I'll get some money in a car. And we go, well, you know, you're not going to – well, we're not going to get it. And if you get it, then we want it, right? <laughs> no, but we said, you know, we're not getting anything. And ultimately that's that came back to haunt Western Kentucky. But can you imagine um, – this guy's seven foot drink of water comes into our dorm room and, and Issel comes down and we, we're sitting there with Issel McDaniels, Casey and I are going, well, our job would be a whole lot easier <laughs> playing with those two guys. And we knew how good Dan yes. was and, and we thought he had great upside, which he did, but we're looking at this big rascal and we're going like, man, if we get this guy, we know what's out on the West coast though. We know they got Jabbar and other bigs out there. We're thinking, man, if we get this guy and hey, listen, if you read the book about Perry Wallace's um, travels through the SEC, it would have been hard. No, make no mistake about it. I can't imagine how hard it would have been. But I, I will tell you, and we told him, "Look, you can play on this team, and we're we're with you, man." That's all we could. That's all we could say. Year later, you're playing in Freedom Hall, Kentucky Colonels. You and Dan both. Um, it was big in Kentucky, Anna. Wasn't hardly that big yet nationally, but you were starting to rattle cages. What do you remember most about your two years with the Colonels? Well, we had a coaching change right off the bat um, when I was with the Colonels, and Frank Ramsey came in, and, and, and Frank changed how we played in the in the changed um, changed some of the lineups and. He he really did a nice job. I think he tried to model that team a little bit uh, after what the Celtics had done when he was there, and uh, we caught fire late. We had two of the we had two of the greatest shooting guards in Carrier and Dampier. I mean, those two guys were amazing, and Issel got his confidence. And we had other guys, Cincy Powell, and we had a good team. It was funny. It was a team that um, really got together. It really um, blended well. Did things together. Sat around the locker room afterwards. BSing, making fun of each other, which just what pro locker rooms are. Um, we made that drive late. Oh, and we were on fire and found ourselves in the seventh game of the ABA championship, world championship. Um, Utah beat us out there. If it would have been in Louisville, we would have won. I mean, we were, I mean, Dan just blew up as a score. Goose Ligon could defend anybody, and what, Dampier my, and Carrier could score. Was my cousin playing for Utah then or not? Yes. Glenn oh, Combs. Glenn Combs. Now, yeah. you know, what a terrific shooter that guy was. He Willie was Wise. Coach's, he was a coach's son. Was he? Okay. And he got a bad rep throughout his high school career. Never played if his dad wasn't coaching. Had a stellar career at Virginia Tech. Yes, he did. Before yes, he got he out. And I think for a while he may have been leading the ABA in three-point shots. Very well could. They, they had him at guard, Willie Wise at forward. They had uh, Zelmo Beatty had come over from the NBA. Terrific low post back when they had back the basket guys, and they had a guy named Marv Roberts, uh, and then they had uh, another guard. I can see him now, but I mean, they they Utah was how, oh how, Austin Red Roberts how, Robbins. How, how old was Zelmo Beatty at that time? Probably had he been around quite a bit. Yes, he's probably thirty. Probably thirty. Okay, he's probably eight years into his pro career. Had been an all star with the uh, 
uh, St. Louis Hawks and the Atlanta Hawks. Did he Did he actually play with uh, Cliff at uh, St. Louis? He may have. I think they were on that team. Slater yeah. Martin? I think so, because he played and at Richie IU. Richie Guerin? Yeah. Yeah, I think, he, I think he was like a rookie. Uh, I think that's about right. Yeah. yeah. Big guy. Yeah. Bells, they called him. He was a big dude. Played the low post and uh, came over. Um, and they beat us in seven games. And uh, we're in Salt Lake City, and I come home the next day, and we had a little – you know, thing at the airport for the Colonels. And then the day after that, so two days after playing in the seventh game of the championship, I was on active duty at Fort Campbell. So, so active duty at Fort Campbell effectively ended your playing career. Well, no. It, as I, far I, as the MEA or ABA. Yeah, but no, I, I was only in for six months. So I came out. Camp had already been in, and when they played some exhibition games, when I got out, did my time and got out. So, yeah, I was I spent from that point forward to middle of October, and the season started first November, in in my second year. And we had a new coach, uh, Joe Mullaney. This Frank, is your second year. Second year. Okay. Frank decided not to come back. I think if Frank would have come back with Artis Gilmore, could have been his Bill Russell. With the team we had, we added a guy named Mike Gale, very very good defensive player. And with the team we had, um, and artists and Frank playing, and, and kind of playing artists in the Bill Russell role, uh, you know, we had the best record. We had the best record in all of basketball that year. I think we would have won it. Uh, we got upset by the Nets in the playoffs, but um, Frank would have uh, the way Frank. The Joe was just a. Joe had been with the Lakers, and he didn't get along with Wilt, didn't get along with Elgin Baylor. And at times, you know, he he Joe had this thing about Kentucky players. I don't know. I guess it was Coach Rupp. But um, he, he didn't really particularly like Kentucky players. Now Talking he, about Joe Mulaney. Uh-huh, he had to like Dan and he had to like, like Louie, what isn't like. But, you know, I was I was a backup guy. I came off the bench. And uh, I, I was uh, I was, you know, just a guy on the team. Thanks for listening to episode 29, part one of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and his guest, Mike Pratt. Now, in order to get the previous episodes, make sure you subscribe to Conversations. For iPhone users, search for at Wildcat News in the App Store and hit subscribe. And for Android users, search for at Wildcat News and subscribe in the Google Play Store. That way, you are guaranteed never to miss an episode. And also, too, OscarCombs.com has every episode of Conversations for your listening enjoyment. And for more with Oscar, follow him on Twitter at Wildcat News. I'm Bo Robinson, thanking you for listening to the latest episode of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's. And as always, go Big Blue.